Welcome back to Purple Haze Podcast. I believe this is episode 11. Uh, I am half of your host. This is Josh here, and I'm along with uh, my co-host, Jake. Jake, how's it going, man? It's going pretty good. Um, you know, it's been a little while since we've had an episode, um, frankly, because there hasn't been too much that's happened since the last time we recorded um, because of COVID on our opponent's end and on our end for both football and basketball. So, but we'll, we'll get all into that in a little bit, but it's just, it's good to be back recording again, um, you know, talking to you about ECU. Yeah, missed it, man. Obviously we had the holidays, we had the uh, bowl game blunder, we had, uh, you know, coming back, I've had, uh, you know, been sick over the past week. It's just been a nightmare trying to, you know, put an, ep- put an episode together and get it recorded, but we're finally here, uh, persevering. Uh, I'd like to wish everybody a happy new year. Uh, Thank you to everybody for listening. Last uh, episode that we put out actually had the most listeners that we've ever had. Um, Over 100 listeners on the last one, so that was awesome. Um, Just can't even believe that (laughs) that many people (laughs) like the content, so it's really cool. Thank you, guys. Um, And, uh, yeah, 2022. Um, It feels like this is our year, man, ECU-wise. I mean – Baseball, baseball is always going to be that constant, but we've been in the top 15 and all, we even cracked the top 10 and all the preseason rankings. Uh, basketball team is interesting to say the least. Um, and, you know, this next football season looks to no doubt be, uh, you know, looks like it's going to be an awesome one. So um, super excited about this year. Have a good feeling about it. Knock on wood. Um, real quick before we dive into it. Um, if you guys don't already, uh, go ahead and give us a follow on uh, Instagram and Twitter. On Twitter, we are at Purple Haze Pod. Uh, on Instagram, it's at Purple Haze Podcast. Um, you know, if you like it, you like the content, we we put out more stuff there too. Uh, live tweet a lot of the games. Uh, you know, make some pretty neat posts on uh, on Instagram. So feel free to give us a follow there too. We'd greatly appreciate it. Um, but we're just thankful for you guys listening. Um, and you know, uh, yeah, I guess without further ado, let's jump into it. We haven't. Uh, we didn't. We were thinking about releasing this episode. Um, we were out of town for Christmas. We were going to be, you know, on the way back. We went up to Connecticut for Christmas. Me and Jake did. On the way back, we were going to be stop- getting dropped off in Annapolis for the bowl game. Um, when the day before we got the news, and it was it was a heartbreaker. Um, man, we were going to release an episode. That week, right after, it was just going to be a giant rant, but we figured, you know, there's so much of that going on at the time, we might as well let it sink in a little bit, and then, you know, this way, now we we have more to talk about than just rant about, uh, you know, what happened, but we still definitely want to get our thoughts in. Um, I'm not sure about the exact amount of inactive players um, for Boston College, if you don't know, I'm sure you do. If you're listening to the po- to, if, to the podcast, Boston College canceled. Um, uh, they dropped out of the military bowl the day before. Um, you know, apparently they had COVID issues, among other issues. Uh, don't know the exact amount of inactive players. There's been different reports, more and less. Um, but from everything I've seen, and Jake, tell me if I'm wrong, they had enough guys to play. No, yeah, they absolutely had enough guys to play. Um, from everything I've seen, they had uh, 60 to 70 guys uh, who could go. Um, and NFL rosters only carry 53 people. Um, you know, college rosters carry about 100. So they definitely had enough guys to play, um, and, and they just didn't want to for whatever reason. 
Yeah. Um, the uh, It was interesting because when you first heard it, there was like numbers being thrown around like, oh, we got 40 guys have COVID and this and that. And I was like, that is a crazy number of people to have COVID. Um, and then you started to, when they released, um, you know, the official statement, their, their reason was, you know, they were having COVID-19 issues as well as injuries, transfers, and opt-outs. Um, so they didn't feel comfortable with their depth. Um, that is where I think a lot of the frustration came. I know it did from our part, but from the ECU fan base as a whole. Um, injuries, transfers, and opt-outs are not a reason to not play a bowl game. Um, they're not a reason to if, – if, uh, if COVID – during the COVID season – if you have so many, which I, I don't know that they even did, but if you have so many in, guys that are hurt and not being able to play that are transferring or opting out of the bowl game, you know that well in advance. You know that come the end of the regular season. Not the COVID part, of course, but the injuries, transfers, and opt-outs. Why, if, if especially knowing, you know, in today's climate, knowing with the protocols and whatnot, if – you know, you know that the slightest COVID issue is going to make you cancel. Why would you accept the bowl invite in the first place if you have so many guys uh, that are transferring, opting out, you know, to go to the draft or, or injured? It's just mind-boggling to me that, Jake, and I'm sure you agree, but I want to hear your thoughts on it. That just doesn't seem – it didn't seem at the time, and I've, I haven't changed my mind on it at all. That doesn't seem like a legitimate reason to drop out of a game and, and cost – the opposing school who did everything right is, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. No, I mean, you can't make sense of it at all. I mean, you, you, even as a Boston college fan, I, I don't think any of them who are arguing could make any sense of it. I mean, dropping out the day before a bowl game, when like you said, you know, the players who are going to opt out or the players who are injured or the ones who are transferring way beforehand. Um, and and like I said earlier, college football rosters are huge, um, and, and your players are allowed to keep a red shirt um, playing four games or less in a season. So there's no way they couldn't have fielded um, a roster. Now, they would have got whooped. I mean, they would have gotten beat by us regardless, um, but they would have got absolutely whooped by us. Um, but yeah. but that, they just – I guess that they just didn't want that to happen. And because, um, you know, there was no really set protocol by the NCAA – um, they were able to pull out of the bowl game without really having um, to worry about a super huge fine. I mean, Boston College is a private school with a lot of money, so the the um, not playing the game didn't affect them as much as us. Um, there wasn't a super huge fine. There's no bowl ban on them uh, for it, so I guess maybe that's why they were able to pull out um, because they didn't really think they thought that the. Um, I, I I don't really know. I guess I guess it just didn't really affect them that much pulling out of the game, so that they just didn't care i don't know i don't I, I can't i can't really make any sense of it dude i don't know not even being a homer man but but saying that citing the main reason for not playing for dropping out the day before is not is that we're not comfortable with our depth how could yeah. that mean anything else other than we know we're going to lose and don't yeah, want to that's like bad. what else could that mean that's that bad. it's i i can tell you this mike <laughs> houston john gilbert and ecu would have fielded a, a team no matter what the situation was and we did every look I understand. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying accusing Boston College players who got COVID of being irresponsible. I know how, look, I've been sick the whole past week. I know, you know, how, you know, crazy, what crazy times we're in and whatnot. But, you know, we did everything right. We showed up 
and you know we were ready to play they showed up and you know we had COVID issues as well that we maintained who knows how many guys they had out with COVID but the fact that just right there next to COVID being a reason for them not playing was injuries transfers and opt-outs is enough to say okay you guys didn't take this you know seriously like you needed to from the start and I think that it was just insanely irresponsible I don't think that that's an excuse to not play and I think that that's why you saw the outrage from um, the fan base that you did, man, because there's just, there's just, it does, it doesn't make sense to do that 24 hours before the game. Um, you know, we've said what we can about that, but um, an- another thing that I noticed, man, and, and look, man, I, I'm sure, uh, you know, there were, uh, you know, there's, there's been situations where ECU, first of all, social media can be insanely toxic anyways. And everyone knows that. And I'm sure there's been a ton of situations where other institutions, other schools have thought ECU fans were being obnoxious and whatnot. Um, But, man, the Boston College fan base that at least we interacted with and we saw other, you know, ECU accounts interacting with online. And I don't really, you know, I'm not afraid to say this at all. That they were some of, and there's exceptions, and I'm sure that's a small percentage of the fan base anyways, but they were some of the most obnoxious people and fans that I have ever interacted with in my entire life to be, you would think that you would have the awareness to know that, look, regardless of the reasoning, regardless of whether we think it's valid, regardless of whether we think, you know, some of the criticism coming is unfair. You are the team that is canceling. You are the team that's forfeiting. You are the team that is, you know, retreating for in, you know, in a sense for them to then come online and have, not even the smallest semblance of humility whatsoever and to be attacking our school. And they, like you said, they didn't have, none of them had any legitimate arguments. None of them had any, um, you know, from what I saw real, um, you know, words to combat what we were saying, what, you know, the players were saying, what the media was saying, you know, they just turned it into, you know, a, a, a pissing contest and you know you saw people coming out and bringing in the school's academics and calling us rednecks because we're from the south which is super original and you know a really intelligent thing for you guys to say by the way um but it was just uh, it, it was unbelievable man um to see that there was of course exceptions we had some really cool people some really cool boston college fans saying that they didn't represent the entire fan base and you know that they really wish things didn't go down the way it did and wish that they were um you know we were getting better reasons from their ad but um i just felt it it was so toxic and you still see it going on not on our page but you still see it going on now when we go on twitter there's still boston college fans insulting ecu putting down ecu and of course it's nothing football related because they don't have anything to say on the topic um, but I just felt it was, you know, it's we've we've ignored it since the day of, you know, we're not engaging in arguments with Boston College random fans on, on Twitter or anything like that. But I just thought it was worthy of pointing out, Jake, that my goodness, were they some of the most obnoxious and pretentious football fans that I've ever experienced? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I used to. Um be kind of a Boston College fan a little bit. In my early high school days, I really like Anthony Brown and A.J. Dillon, but uh, I, I cannot stand Boston College anymore. Um, <laughs> I will never do Boston College in anything 
else. And I don't, like Josh said, I don't want to sit here and harp on it too much because they really don't deserve the attention. But I'll just say a couple of things. Um, one, uh, Boston College wasn't even one of our top opponents. We really wanted to play UNC and Virginia Tech, and neither of them wanted to play us. So uh, we got stuck playing Boston College which it's not a knock on, you know, a, a bowl game is a bowl game, and ECU is not in a position to be picky with a bowl game. But uh, there weren't even a top opponent that we wanted to play. Um, then their fans are saying that it was our Super Bowl when the last team we Hilarious. played – The last team we played is ranked number four in the country and just played in the college football playoff. And I think everyone can agree that the past decade for ECU football has been a really rough one. Um, but in the last decade – uh, ECU football has three, um, eight or more win seasons, and Boston College has zero. They're one in five. <laughs> they're one. They're one in five in bowl games in the last decade. Um, so there's just nothing there. I mean, there's no point in talking, arguing with them because um, they just they're fine with mediocrity, and we're gonna win a conference championship next year. They're still gonna hopefully be six and six and go into another uh, bowl game. So. Um, you know, I, it, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. There's not really much else to say other than, um, you know, there's just levels to this. And uh, where they're at is just a stepping stone for where we're going to be. So that's all I got. Yeah, man. I mean, not that saying ACC football even means anything as of recent because it really doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but yeah, man, it was just some of the comments were laughable, and you can't, dude. They can they can sit behind the ace. They can say it's our Super Bowl, and and clearly they don't actually, you know, actually watch football over there, and I don't really blame them. Um, but they could say it was our Super Bowl and whatnot, and hide behind the ACC and act like that means something to us, like we care about that. But you can't polish a turd, and that's what Boston College football is in the ACC. So <laughs> whatever, yeah. man. Uh, it was a tremendous displeasure doing business with them. Um, and you know, who knows, but we're just a couple of dumb rednecks cause we're from the South, I guess. <laughs> Anyways, moving on Boston college blunder. We'll put it behind us. Military bowl champs. Doesn't even, d- doesn't matter, man. We, we accomplished what we wanted to accomplish this year. We turned a, a tremendous corner as a program. We, the, the, you know, obviously we expect to win every game that we go into, but the prize this season was the fact that we became bowl eligible coming out of this tremendous rebuild that we've been going through. Um, and, and, and that's what it is. Um, and, and, you know, hang your hat on the fact that, uh, you know, ECU is, is trending up in, in a very significant way. And, you know, we weren't the team that walked away from this game. Moving on, let's move on to, uh, you know, and, and by the way, before before we move on to basketball, I want to say we're not going to stop talking about football altogether just because it's the off season. Um, we're going to get creative and we're going to, you know, do a bunch of different segments and stuff like that we've been talking about that are in the works. Um, we're probably even going to interact with you guys and see if we can, you know, get some stuff from you guys that you guys would like us to research and talk about on the podcast. So um, just a heads up there. Um you know, ECU football, we're never going to not be talking about it on the podcast. Obviously, in the offseason, there's, you know, where we're going to be emphasizing more basketball and baseball. But, um, yeah, we're, we're, you know, the, this football team and, and program is so exciting right now. We're going to have uh, we're going to have a good time. Uh, so stay tuned for that, football fans. Um, but moving on, moving on to ECU hoops. It has been a weird year, man, uh, in, in a good way. <laughs> We're ten and three right now. Um, we're recording this on the sixth of January, so 
last night um, at the time we're recording this, you'll be hearing this on, uh, well, it'll be releasing on Friday the 7th. Last night we played Tulane at home um, and uh, won in an old uh, overtime thriller, uh, 88 to 80, uh, to remain undefeated at home. Like I said, ECU is 10-3 and three this basketball season. That was our first game in conference play. Unfortunately, uh, Wichita State and USF games got postponed due to COVID. Um, but look, man, there's there's a lot you can critique. Uh, but we do know where ECU hoops has been in the past. And I think the fact that you're sitting at 10-3 and three, one game into uh, conference play, I think it's a, it's a really big positive for this team to build off of. Yeah, no, it definitely is. I mean, I think this is a really talented group. Obviously, not having um, Winston Tabs uh, for the year sucks. Um, and, and, and that bites into our depth a little bit, but I still think this is a really deep team. Um, we were coming, playing Tulane. We only played eight players and really only played seven with Mosher only playing two minutes. Um, we were missing almost all of our big men, and we still found a way to hold on and, and win that game in overtime, so... Um, really, really like the way that our uh, program is trending there. Obviously, um, our you know when you compare it to like our baseball program or even our football program, it's it's tough to do that. But I, I still like the direction that we're headed there and, and the the way that we've been able to play some this year. Yeah, and they, look, they've competed in every single game. Um, there's been a lot of moments, moments in every game where you would like to see uh, you know the team be more consistent. But ten and three is ten and three, and uh, Look, this Tulane team, man, has play, been playing good basketball. They they just came off of wins um, at home against Memphis, 85 to 84, and then away against Cincinnati, 68 to 60, coming into that game uh, last night against ECU. So, uh, you know, you look at the record and you say, you know, coming in, they were five and six, but, um, you know, this was a team that, uh, you know, had a bunch of games canceled in a row and then came out hot, and uh, ECU was able to put out that flame and I think that that's uh, especially in, in a conference game conference opener that's um, you know there's something to be said for that um, breaking down the game uh, first half ECU look man what else is new started hot started really hot um, seemed to uh, have a really good grasp on the game about halfway through the first half and then the same thing that we've been seeing uh, all year, really, um, for most of the year anyways, uh, you know, Tulane went on a stretch to end the first half and make it tight. They made it – I think we were up at by like 15 at one point, 14, 15. Um, and they they trimmed it down to a six-point lead. ECU was up 43 to 37 at half. Tulane trimmed it. Um, and, man, it looked like the same old. Uh, I think we tweeted, uh, you know, man, I really thought this was going to be the game where I didn't want to – you know, rip my hair out at halftime, but it was another one where I did, you know, you're still heading into half with a six point lead, but Jake, I mean, we've seen it all year. This team get real, go get off to really hard, uh, hot starts early and uh, just get, give up big runs, uh, whether it be at the end of the first half or, um, you know, in the second half. And uh, this seemed to be like another one of those times, man. I, I was, I was definitely not feeling great about the game uh, going into halftime. Yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, it seems like almost every single game we come out hot or we play a good first half and then we come out in the second half and we're not not able to keep it up at that level. And I really thought that um, at this point in the season that would be something that would have been fixed uh, by now. 
because I really do like the talent um, and the depth that we have with this team. But um, obviously, it's still something that that we're struggling through and and happy that we're able to get a win in this one. But that's definitely something that uh, we we probably need to fix, you know, moving forward if we want to compete in this conference. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, like you said, we got a lot of good depth. There's a lot of talent. But, um, you know, there's going to be teams that we're going to play that – you know, we, we're not going to be able to give up these runs to. Um, yeah, going into the second half, um, really thought – now, there was never a point in the game where ECU was, uh, you know, trailing big. I think the – you know, it was – I don't think we were ever trailing by, you know, more than single digits in the second half. But you started to get the feel that, okay, this is going to be, you know, like the Davidson game where – you know, or the Liberty game where we just kind of, you know, we just faded and, and can't really bring ourselves back into it. Um, you know, you can't really capture the lead and hold on to it. It just feels like the momentum was lost. There were some huge plays. Uh, J.J. Miles had a huge slam. I think we retweeted it on our Twitter if you want to go look at it. Um, Brandon Johnson also had a huge slam. My goodness. I mean, there, it was an exciting game. Um you know, a, a lot of three-pointers being jacked up by Tulane. I think uh, Forbes, who was their uh, leading scorer, shot like 13 threes or something like that. Like just, And he hit six of them. So, I mean, it, it was an exciting game. Um, second half was really back and forth, although I will say that for the second half, Tulane seemed to have the, um, you know, slight control for most of it. Um, but w- when it came down to the wire, um, I believe let, – let me pull it up. Let me pull up the play-by-play here because um, I think it was at around the 20-some second mark left in the game. So, uh, let's see here. Scrolling down, taking forever because ESPN's format is not very good. Okay, 24 seconds. Uh, it's tied 66-66. to 66. Tulane has the ball for those of you who didn't watch. Um, and Jalen Forbes, who we just mentioned um, – drains a three to make it 69 to 66 uh need need i remind you that you know it, it was already ecu just seemed um seemed to be really struggling to make it happen on offense at that point the defense was keeping a minute in that last couple of minutes stretch um but that three with 24 seconds left felt like an absolute dagger um you know we called timeout tristan newton uh you know they give him a free lane he takes the layup which is smart with about 15 seconds left you don't need to go for the tie there um especially with the way the college's foul rules are which you know i don't love all the time but anyways um uh, we immediately foul forbes makes both of his free throws not really who you wanted at the line um and, and it feels so they stay up by three and it feels like man ECU is going to freaking blow this one. And I know that we got a lot of guys out and I know, you know, it was going to be a tough one from the start. Nobody expected us to get a blowout, but it really felt like a game we could win. And then with two seconds left, Tristan Newton drains a three from deep step back jumper with a hand in his face. Absolutely electric uh, crowd goes wild. Uh, too late inbounds it and jake uh, do you, i don't know if you saw this um yeah i saw it yeah, yeah the inbounds it <laughs> full court lob down to uh kevin cross who's around the you know he's around the free throw line don't even know how they completed that inbound with two seconds left by the way and he tosses it up in the ball <laughs> it is literally a movie the ball <laughs> rolls around the rim 
and then hangs up on top of it and just slowly kind of slides off on the side <laughs> to send the game to overtime. Um, Tulane's animated coach, who is really fun to watch, to be honest with you. Um, I can't think of his name right now, but he was losing his mind on the sidelines. Just couldn't believe that that <laughs> happened. Every, you know, where everybody's tweeting, can't believe, you know, there's nothing like ECU sports to get your heart rate going. That was just the most ECU basketball play that I've ever seen in my life. But it worked in our favor, sent it to OT. And from that point on, man, it was, uh, it was Tristan Newton time. It, it was really the most unbelievable performance. That overtime from Tristan Newton was the most unbelievable performance. Um, and we'll throw in the last five seconds of regulation, too. Um, that I've ever seen from a, from an ECU basketball player. Um, he, he completely put the game on his back. We shared a graphic on Instagram earlier just to show you how crazy it was. But um, I believe, let me see what the, the minute mark was there. I believe from like, aside from a Brandon Johnson free throw in overtime, one free throw, I believe from like the three and a half minute mark to the end of the game, Tristan Newton scored every single point for ECU in overtime to out. And we outscored Tulane 17 to nine to win it. Um, Including at around the, the minute or around the 30, 32nd mark, Tristan Newton hit another deep three to make it 86 to 80 to essentially ice the game. Um, you know, also hit a few more free throws just to, you know, throw the sugar on top of the performance. But my goodness, Jake, that that was the the most spectacular performance that I've ever seen from an ECU basketball player. We've been singing Tristan Newton's praises all uh, year long, talking about how he's just a perfect fit for today's game of basketball with his length um, and how his th- how his uh, three point shooting has developed. He was five of nine on the day. He ended with 32 points, three assists, five rebounds, three steals, and a block. And and like I said, just absolutely looked like he was uh, a man amongst boys in overtime. Uh, how how much did you love seeing that from Tristan Newton? I mean, you know, you absolutely love to see that. Um, we, we know how good Tristan Newton is. We've known for a couple of years how much talent he has, and he really um, put in the work this offseason, and he's elevated his game to a whole nother level. Um, He's averaging 19 points a game, um, shooting 50% from the field, 38% from the three-point line. Um, That's a super high volume, too. Uh, So, I mean, you absolutely love to see Tristan Newton. You feel like anytime he's on the court, your team has a chance to win the game. Um, And, and, you know, I I won't say he he solely put the team on his back because there was a lot of guys who who had big moments um, in this game. But, you know, coming into the second half, he only had four points, and he finished the game with 32. So, I mean, it's it's just spectacular to Unbelievable. watch. It's yeah, it's it's spectacular to watch Tristan Newton play, and every time uh, he steps on the court, you uh you have to keep your eyes on him. That's for sure. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm so proud of the guys yesterday for um you know obviously like I said there was that you know the fade at the end of the first half to let Tulane back in it, and then it was a back and forth you know second half, but um to to have essentially seven guys go and and to get really good minutes out of all these guys, um, it, it was just, it was an awesome win. And it was really good. Uh, you know, really good. To, it, first of all, it was just a really good game to watch as a fan. Um, but second of all, you know, when your team comes out on the winning end of that, it was awesome. But a couple more guys to shout out. Like I gave uh, Brandon Johnson the shout out for the flush earlier, but um, 
14 points, 10 rebounds. He had a double-double. Brandon Suggs, podcast favorite. We love Brandon Suggs. Uh, You know, struggled from the field a tiny bit, 3-10, but he was 6-6 from free throws, which is huge. And he also had 11 assists and 6 rebounds to go along with his 12 points. So just another complete game. Played 43 minutes um, from Brandon Suggs. Um, You know, an absolute... An absolute stud. Vance Jackson uh, hit some threes early. He was a uh, eleven six and three. Um, some good minutes off the bench from our freshman, uh, you know, from Felton, um, and, and just a really really good uh, team win for those guys. I know, uh, you know, Tristan put the team on his back at the end, but like you said, four points in the first half, and you know, we we still outscored him by six. So there was it was a team effort, and it was just it was an awesome game to watch, man. Um, Super, super, super fun game uh, for these guys, too. And I saw them all interacting with fans and stuff on online after. Um, and it was really cool for them. And, um, you know, I hope they enjoy it because they got a tough one coming next against Temple, um, a really good Temple basketball team um, on uh, Saturday. I believe it's 2 o'clock on Saturday that game is. Um, Temple, at least on ESPN through their matchup predictors, pretty heavy favorite, 65% chance to win according to the ESPN Basketball Power Index. Um, and uh, this is a team that, you know, Temple started one and two in the conference. Um, but, you know, they played some tough teams. Uh, they're, they're eight and six. They got some tough losses. They've lost to uh, USC, Clemson, uh, Boise State, um, I think they lose to St. Joseph's too. I think they lost yeah, to UCS. Yeah, I think so. St. Joe's. Yeah, and Houston. I mean, they played a tough freaking schedule up to this point. They would have played Villanova, but it got postponed. Yeah. Um, same with the Drexel game. So we're playing a really good Temple team. Um, and, and it'll be exciting to see, um, you know, kind of where we're at right now co- going into that game. Um, and, and I think it'll be a good test for the Pirates. Uh, you know, hopefully – Next week, uh, when we're recording the episode, we'll be able to talk about a, a big win um, against that Temple team. But um, for now, we're just enjoying the uh, Tulane win. It was nice to get the guys back on the court um, and, you know, hope they enjoy it before they travel out there to go play Temple in Philadelphia. So, um, you know, would have more uh, on ECU hoops. You would think we would after the, you know, two-week break or however long it's been since the last episode, but everything got canceled. Just thankful we got the game last night to talk about. Um, but, yeah, man, just uh, just really excited about the talent this ECU team has heading into conference play and to see what they can do. And that was a, uh, a really exciting, almost too exciting start. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree, agree there. And uh, th- that wraps it up for our basketball segment. Um, we're moving on. Uh, this is the first uh, time on this podcast that we're going to talk about ECU baseball. Um, a little bit in depth. Uh, me and Josh are both huge, huge ECU baseball fans. Uh, we've wanted to talk about this earlier, but we wanted to wait a little bit, especially when football was still going on. Um, but now that football's ended, um, we can finally start talking about ECU baseball a little bit. Um, and I want to start by talking about our baseball schedule. Uh, when this got announced, Josh, and, and, and you can tell me if you feel the same, I think this was our toughest uh, schedule that I've seen probably ever. I mean, obviously, I'm not that old, but this is the toughest schedule I've seen in a long time. Yeah, it's a heck of a schedule. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll I'll go in depth here. We open up with a consistently solid Bryant program. They're often a regional team. Then we got a three game series with UNC, 
um, two at UNC, one in Greenville. Um, the Keith LeClaire Classic, that's always hard for me to say. Um, I don't know yes. why, but it's three, <laughs> three, three regional teams. Then we got a road, a road trip to Charleston, who's coming off a solid season. Um, and then we got a three-game series versus VCU, another regional team. Um, and a midweek series versus State, ODU, Duke, UNCW, Campbell, and Virginia Tech. Um, and that's just non-conference. And we, I mean, we all know that the Americans a good baseball conference. Um, everyone really in it. It's, it's an eight-team baseball conference, and everyone in it's really a player except Memphis. So, I mean, th- th- this is a really tough schedule, Josh. What do you think about it? Yeah, man. I mean, it's a, you, you think two things. One, you know, obviously you're, you're like, crap. You know, we're playing a lot of good teams. Um, but it, it's also it, it's also really exciting, man, because um, it really gives ECU baseball an opportunity. Now, look, ECU baseball is an extremely well-respected program. We are constantly, um, you know, we're always in the tournament. We're hosting regionals. We're winning regionals. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, I, I always at least feel, especially the past few years, that we've been a bit and I'm nitpicking, you know, there's a lot of programs that wish they were at where uh, ECU baseball is, um, but that we've been a bit disrespected at the end of the year, whenever the final seedings come in, uh, you know, like to like to see us get a shot at hosting a super regional. And I think with this schedule, look, man, that's how you do it. You know, yeah. we know, we know that there is the, you know, non-power five bias that we were fighting against, despite, you know, how many times time and time again, we've proven, um, you know, where we stand as a, as a program with baseball, but, um, yeah, that, that's what I was excited, man, I, because that's, a, that's your shot, man. You get a lot, you can have with a good schedule. There's an opportunity for a lot of quality wins and with a lot of quality wins, you got a chance to have a really high seed and, you know, we know how fun it is to host a regional, um, in Greenville, how amazing would it be to host a super regional man? So, um, and, and it really is a big, uh, a huge advantage. Um, so yeah, I'm looking ahead a lot, but that's the expectations that this ECU baseball team and this program, um, and Cliff Godwin, you know, had, that's the expectations that they've earned. Um, and I know that they hold themselves to and even higher. Uh, so yeah, man, I, I think it's a good thing. I know some people were like, dang, man, this is a freaking tough schedule, but it's a good thing. And I think that we got a really good roster that's up to the task. Yeah, I can, I completely agree. Um, the past three years. Uh, I believe in our super regionals, we pulled Mississippi State, Texas Tech, and Vanderbilt. Um, and when they were three of the hottest teams um, in the country. So, uh, I and I completely agree that we should have been hosting a super, at least in some of those years, um, or at least in one of those years. Um, but, you know, it, it didn't happen that way. Um, but regardless, ECU is one of only five programs to have um, 40 win seasons in each of the last three seasons, not including uh, the season they got shut down for COVID. But, um, you know, I feel, I feel like with this tough schedule, if we win 40 games again, uh, I, I don't think there's really a way. And I don't want to say this to jinx myself because I know how the NCAA works. Um, but I don't think um, there's really a way if we win 40 games again that we won't be a top eight seed and, and, and be in control of our own fate when it comes to hosting a Super Regional. Um, because, you know, a 41 season with this schedule is just – Absolutely ridiculous. I mean, that's tough for anybody to do. Yeah, and it's it, it, we got some exciting ones too, man. I mean, like you said, we've got the series early on against UNC. It's kind of annoying that two games are in Chapel Hill, but whatever. We'll take the third one. Yeah, um, oh, and, and 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 next year they're coming to Greenville for two, and we're going there for one. So that's exactly. that, yeah, 
Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so it's fine. We play them early on and we get some, you know, we get the series of Bryant, like Jake said, a, a solid squad. And then we play Tampa, who we know is a solid squad, um, but leading into that game. So, you know, it's 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 a really exciting series to have early on. Right after that, we have Duke um, play a lot of, you know, play a lot of in-state foes. We get we get state at home um, later on the season. So um, and then we play I believe we play state away, too. Don't we like late in the season yeah. in April? Yeah. Okay. Um, Play Duke home. Okay, so yeah, we play Duke away first, then we play State at home first, and then vice versa later on in the season we play Duke. Um, or did I say Duke at home first? Duke is away and then home, and then State uh, is the other way around. But anyways, um, we there's a chance to have some really, really quality wins um, on our resume going into the postseason. Um, and, you know, we got the team to do it, man. Like I said, there's, there's, a, lot, there's a lot to be excited about in – you know, I know it's nice to have a lot of um, easy wins on the schedule. We don't have that this year, but ultimately it's better, you you know, and I know those guys would agree and Cliff Godwin would agree it's better to have a tougher schedule. Yeah, it absolutely would. And, um, you know, you know, schedule being said, looking at the uh, production that we're going to be losing, um, first off, uh, we're, from the lineup we're losing Norby, Francisco, and Cadell. Um that's our second baseman. And then Francisco played pretty much everywhere, but kind of first in outfield. Um, then Cadell was our catcher. And then obviously we're losing Gavin Williams from the rotation. Um, we're losing Tyler Smith and we're losing uh, Cam Colmore and Matt Bridges as well. Um, a couple guys, I think that are going to step into those roles. Um, we're really ex- uh, expecting AMAC. I mean, he, w- he was already um, a starter most of the time last year, but really expecting AMAC to be a full-time starter. Um, Riley Johnson to come in. Um, and, and, and get a starting job in that outfield. Um, me and Josh both really like Ben Newton a lot uh, behind the plate. And then second base is uh, the most open, um, in my opinion. I think it's going to uh, come down between Joey Barini and Jacob Starling uh, to fill that spot. Obviously, I'm not there in the practices, and, and, and there's still some time in between, so I don't really know uh, who's taking the jump um, there. But, um, you know, we're, we're expecting one of those two to play second base. Um, jo- Josh, how do you feel about the – the guy stepping in because there's some big shoes to fill, um, but we've been in this situation before, um, and, and it seems like we only get stronger each and every year. So, yeah, well, like you said, look, first of all, I know how excited uh, Godwin is about Riley Johnson, um, and he looked good last year, man. Yeah, he, he looked really good, and you know, you know, the power's there and going to develop. Um, so I think that he he's going to be look. He was already. It's all always nice when you got a young guy that's going to be stepping into a starter role, get a lot of playing time the year before, which he did. Um, Amac, I really think he's going to become a staple of this offense. I just love his bat, um, and he can play. He can play multiple positions too, um, you know, which is huge. Um, like you said, Ben Newton. I've lo- I I love Ben Newton. I think Ben Newton's got a lot of potential at the plate. And I think he's really good behind the plate as well. So, you know, replacing catchers is hard. Um, you know, that's that's the hardest position to replace. So the fact that we lost Cadell uh, and then are immediately getting to turn around and, and, you know, give that position to a guy like Ben Newton, I think is not something to be taken uh, for granted. Um, like Jake said, we, we, talk, we raved about Ben Newton's potential all year last year. Um, if we were doing the podcast then, you guys probably would have gotten annoyed we talked about him so much. <laughs> Why are you talking about the backup catcher so much? But we love that guy. Um, and, yeah, and then you got, you know, you got Joey Barini, Starling. You know, we'll see. 
um, we'll probably see a lot of both of them. You know, we'll probably see guys we wouldn't expect to see. Yeah, um, that's kind of what Godwin does. Um, but as far as the lineup goes, I, I really think that look, you know, we we're ECU. We're gonna lose guys to the draft. That's a good thing. Um, but we also have the talent to replace them, and we do have some really good guys returning too. So uh, I, I'm I'm excited, man. I think I think that this is. Uh, you know, I would say underrated, but we're getting, I'd say, fairly appropriately rated in all the preseason rankings. Um, this is a really good roster, and I think that this is a a, a really good uh, a really good team um, with some serious talent, some veteran guys, um, and, and I'm excited to see what this year brings. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, I think I think this is going to be a super exciting year. Josh cited the. Uh the preseason polls there's been to my knowledge there's been two polls um that have came out um collegiate baseball newspaper um was the first one we were ranked eighth um in their preseason poll and then i think perfect game either came out yesterday or today and they had us ranked 13th um, in the country so i mean you know early on that's a good place to be um i'm, I'm hoping that um the official po- polls reflect um the same amount of respect i mean and, and they should at least somewhere in that realm I mean, I think putting us anywhere outside of the top 20 is just ridiculous, honestly. Um, but um, hopefully they won't do that. I'm not expecting them to do that. Um, but, yeah, so th- those are the guys we think uh, can come in and fill those roles. We're also expecting um, some huge jumps from guys like uh, Zach Agnos and freaking Josh Moylan, who Josh we absolutely Moylan, I was love. waiting to hear you say um, it, Dude, he's, he's a beast. I mean, uh, I think he was the number three rated um, first baseman in the country in his class. I can't. I can't quite remember, but he was absolutely awesome last year. Uh, if my memory serves me correctly, he hit a bomb um, off of Jack Leiter, right? Yeah, he did. I was going to say he was great in the played, Super Regional. He played great. He hit three ten uh, with a four oh two on base percentage. Expecting the power to come through this year for him um, because we know he has it. Um, I would not be surprised to see him hit fifteen or more home runs this year. Um, and then obviously Zach Agnos is ridiculous in the field, um, but he's also ridiculous at the plate. You know, another 400 plus on base percentage guy, um, you know, hit a decent amount of home runs last year, a double machine uh, with 14. But we're expecting both of those guys to make big jumps, uh, especially, you know, the way they were disrespected. Josh, I don't know if you saw, but uh, neither of them were preseason all yeah. <laughs> all, all conference picks. Uh, so I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how you do that. Uh, but one guy was a preseason all-conference pick, um, you know, no matter how much you hate ACU or whatever, you can't keep this guy off. Uh, Carson Wisenhunt. Josh, I'll, I'll let you talk about him for a second because um, I know I, you both love him. I have been saying that Car- – and, you know, he hasn't been here, the, the you know, a super, super long time, but I've been saying – I've been saying super too much is what I've been saying. I need to <laughs> but Carson, the sophomore, um, you know, pitcher Carson Wisenhunt, um, out of where's he out of? He's out of Moxville. I got that pulled up right now. Anyways, he really developed. Look, we had Gavin Williams last year, who is just an absolute freak, and the the way that he transitioned from a bullpen arm to a starter was amazing, and that's why he got picked in the first round. But Carson Wisenhunt, as a pitching prospect, coming into ECU, the lefty. Um, he he's unbelievable to watch, man. The poise that he plays with, he played, he pitched in huge moments. He's a freshman last year, man, and he and he quickly uh, became 
you know, our, our, our second option in the rotation. You could even say the first option in the rotation. He, I mean, he's a stud. I think he's going to have a huge year. Um, it's pretty much undeniable that he's going to have a huge year. And, uh, you know, who better could you ask to, to um, be the ace of this, of this rotation? Teams are not going to want to see Carson Wisenhunt, um, you know, slotted to pitch against them. I love I love him. I, he's going to be – I mean, he's going to be the next – he's going to be the next first-round pick, um, you know, starting pitcher out of ECU. And, uh, man, if you guys didn't, uh, you know, watch him pitch a ton last year, you need to watch every time he's scheduled to pitch this year because Carson Wisenhunt is a stud, and he only got better as the year went on. And like I said, he was a freshman. Yeah, yeah. Carson Wisenhunt, I mean, the swagger that he plays with um, is, is crazy. Uh, he's He's super talented. He's got the best changeup in the country. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not just saying that because I'm an ECU fan. I mean, if you see, uh, you know, the way he's able to control that and the movement he gets on that changeup and the way uh, he can people miss or hit weak contact with it, um, you know, we're super excited to see him. I mean, he's going to be a first-round pick in this next draft um, and, unless something seriously goes wrong injury-wise, which we obviously hope that doesn't happen. But he's going to be so fun to watch um, this year. And, and, and we got some guys who – who were, you know, supposedly made some big jumps. Um, you know, Logish and Saylor are talked about being in contention for starting role in the bullpen. Obviously, we got Cooch Manor still, who has had some huge moments for ECU baseball. Um, he's coming off, you know, a rough year. But, uh, you know, I really believe that he can, you know, hone in and, and find himself again because he's a really special pitcher when he's on. Um, and, and then we got some newcomers who can really help out in the bullpen. Um, you know, I don't really know too much about you know a lot of the guys uh, that haven't been with the program yet but i do know that ecu gets some of the best recruiting classes um, in the country um and, and we develop players as good as anybody so i i know that our depth is good in, the, in that there's going to be guys who will be ready to step up um any another guy um that i haven't talked about is Skylar brooks um you know kind of a two-way player more of a pit i i like him more as a pitcher he throws hard um you know mid-90s um, you know, hard throwing righty. Uh, he had an injury last year, but he, he he's really good. So I think um, all in all, uh, we're set CJ up. CJ Mayhew this. too. Yeah, yeah. CJ Mayhew. I, I I don't know how he slipped my mind. One of the one of my favorite relievers in the country. I think he's a a beast, and he'll be able to step into that closer role this year. Um, and he so, was preseason. And, and, sorry, I'm not trying to interrupt you. He was preseason All Conference too, right? Wasn't he? Yeah, he yeah he was. Okay. I think he was too. And, and and yeah, I mean, there's other guys too. Um, world. The, the, there's a, yeah, there's there's a ton of guys. Um, yeah, where, where I'm trying to get at with this is that there's no shortage of depth um, and talent with this ECU baseball team, and that you know the sky's the limit. I really think that this is a year. I don't want. It's hard to predict Omaha, but I think this is a year that it can really, really become a reality for us. Yeah, if you, you look, man, you you got a lot of young talent. You got some veteran guys, and, and you know what you need to have happen is you need those veteran guys to step up. And I'm, uh, you know, there's there's multiple, but two that I'm really looking at um, is like you said, Cooch Maynor. Um, I think it'll be huge if Cooch Maynor can establish himself as a reliable guy in this rotation. Um, and you know, we're not asking him to go out there and throw perfect games, <laughs> even though he can. Um, yeah. But you know, just to just to you know be be a consistent arm in in that rotation. Uh, you know, because when he's on, he's really tough to hit. Um, and, and then on the, uh, you know, on the offensive side, guys like Bryson Worrell, um, you, you know, who who obviously is insanely talented, ton of power in his bat. 
you know, what you need is you need those guys to step up and to be what you expect them to be and maybe even more. And then you need some of the young talent to come through. We've shown over the years that the young talent, you know, is always going to surprise you with how impactful it can be early with ECU. Um, we had a lot of guys that are coming into their second year, um, you know, like Mayhew, like um, uh, Riley um, and, and those guys. And, and like you said, Skylar Brooks, who uh, who can come in and, and really make that difference and take that step, Zach Agnos. Um, so, uh, well, Zach Agnos, you're expecting to be a, you know, a staple of the team, which he pretty much already established himself as, but, um, you know what I'm saying? There, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity here, man. And we're, we're talented in all aspects of the game. A lot of college teams can't say that. So, um, I think there's real, real reason for, for heavy optimism. And like you said, you know, the, the goal for a team this talented and for a program, um, like this one is Omaha. And I think that, uh, that, that should be the standard. That is the standard. And, uh, you know, I think there's a very, very real chance, um, with the schedule that we have, uh, to make that a reality. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and just, you know, like you said, and like I've said, um, just to kind of put it away, um, two or three years ago, uh, we lost seven or eight guys, maybe even more. I, I think it was seven or eight guys to the MLB draft. Um, and everyone was like, how are we going to come back from this? We're losing a ton of production. Um, and, and we came back the next year just as strong, if not, you know, with a stronger team. Uh, so the way, the, you know, staff, elite players, elite recruiting, uh, this team is always going to be in contention, uh, not just for the conference, but in, in fighting for that. Um, but, yeah, super exciting stuff coming up. You know, football's exciting, obviously. It's going to, you know, we got a little break from that, but we're gearing up for next year already. First game against NC State. Um, me, and, me and Josh couldn't be uh, more excited for it. But like Josh said, we're not going to be done talking about football. Um, you know, there's going to be guys who are in the transfer portal, guys coming, you know, to our school, guys making impacts through spring ball. So we're not done with that. Um, and, you know, basketball's heating up, conference play starting. We're looking decent. So that's fun to talk about, too. And now we can finally start talking about baseball because that's coming up soon. So uh, there, there's a lot of exciting things uh, going on for ECU, and we're we're happy to cover them. We're happy to talk about them. And, and, you know, we're thankful that you guys will sit here and listen to us. So, you know, all that being said, go Pirates, baby.